Okay. In this week's parsha, we have the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem, where Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem. Um, this is after the story of the daughters of Tzlachot, who request that they, um, being that they have no brothers, that they should um, get an inheritance in the land. And Hashem, indeed, in the fourth aliyah of Parshas Pinchas, indeed says that when uh, gives the mitzvah of, of Nachlus, that when a person dies with no sons, then his daughters inherit him. And um, in continuation to that, Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, that Hashem should appoint somebody over the people who um, somebody who will go out to war ahead of, who go out ahead of them and return in front of them the reference is to war somebody who will lead them in battle um, who will bring them out and bring them in. Hashem's congregation should not be like a sheep that have no shepherd. And uh, the Mepharshim explain, Rashi actually brings it here on, somewhere here, that Moshe Rabbeinu was kind of requesting, you've just taken care, here we go, Yifkid Hashem. Moshe heard that Hashem told, uh, commanded to give Tzlovchad's inheritance to his own children, to his daughters. So now Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, now is the time for me to ensure that my position will be succeeded by my children. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu was asking Hashem to appoint his child, or his children, his child, his son, as successor as Mo- to Moshe Rabbeinu. But Hashem tells him, no, it's not going to be your children who succeed you. Who's it going to be? Sure. Yehoshua, right? Who succeeds Moshe Rabbeinu? And Hashem says to him, Take Yehoshua Benun, who is a man of uh, spirit. Rashi, uh, Rashi says that means that he was a, he will be able to that he could identify with each person the way um, they need to be spoken to. The Alter Rebbe addresses this in the introduction to Tanya. Anyway, you shall lay your hands upon him. So as we see later on, the way, um, in fact, as we see soon, the way Moshe um, Rabbeinu invested Yehoshua into this role as the future, as the next leader of the Jewish people, was through laying his hands upon him, Samicha. And the same is true for future generations, that when the Nasi, when the Avbezdin, or, or somebody who was acting with permission, with agency of the Avbezdin, would give somebody Samicha, which meant to authorize him to judge Dine Torah, and to judge Knossos, uh, to, to, to give fines to people, etc., etc. All of those things that are in the authority of Irav, who has Samicha, Ishmael Pi Ishmael Pi Moshe Rabbeinu. The reason it's called Samicha is because originally the way it was done, Moshe Rabbeinu lay his hands on Yeshua. That was the original Samicha. And even what we have today, which is when people become a rabbi, we call it Samicha, even though it's not the same status of rabbi, if you will, as they had then. We don't have the authority to give uh, to give fines, etc., as somebody who's part of the direct chain to Moshe Rabbeinu Smicha has. Nevertheless, the, re- the term Smicha that we use for somebody becoming a rabbi is based on this passage in this week's parasha that Moshe Rabbeinu lay his hands, was instructed to lay his hands over Yeshua. What is the actual definition of the word? Smicha means to lean. To lean. To lean, lean, L-E-N. A N to lean, yeah. Okay. Right. The other time in Torah we have the, the word semicha is that when a person brought a carbon, there was a mitzvah for him to do semicha on the carbon, where he would lean with his full force on the head of the animal and recite a vidu, you recite a confession or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no argument here. Mm. you should stand Yehoshua. 
לפני אלוזר הכהן in front of אלוזר the priest ולפני כל העדו וציוויסו אישי לעיניהם in front of the whole, uh, the whole uh, congregation and you shall command him and instruct him in their presence ונסעתם יהודך אולב you should give some of your glory unto him למען ישמעו כל הדס בני ישראל so that all the Jewish people should see so there's emphasis here that this should be a very public and publicized affair where everybody sees Moshe Rabbeinu transferring his uh, or appointing Yehoshua as his successor and Moshe Rabbeinu's request that his own son succeed him is turned out he should stand in front of Elozer. Yehoshua stands in front of Elozer and inquires what does Mishpat Urim mean? The, the plate. The breastplate, the Choshen, right? And he, by his mouth or by his command, the Jewish people shall go, go out and come in. And again, going out and coming here always refers to battle. Him and all the Jewish people and the whole congregation. We asked Moshe, Kasha Tziva Hashem, Moshe carried out this instruction, and he took Yeshua, he stood him, and he leaned on him, he commanded him, this was carried out. Indeed, Yeshua is appointed as Moshe Rabbeinu's successor. This is in Parshish Pinchas, which is, I mean, this is, a, this is a, even though we still have a way to go to the end of the Torah and to Yeshua's assuming position, but chronologically, it's not all that much time, because um, this happens already um, after Aaron has died. Uh, when does Aaron die? We had this in last week's parasha. When does uh, when is Aaron's death? Rishchodesh of which year? Rishchodesh of the thirty-ninth year, six seven months before they enter the land, right? So they like they go into the land on the tenth of Nisan, um, on the fortieth year of the Exodus. I thought three years from creation. No, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to place this in the story of the, de- right, the Jewish people in the yeah. desert. Moshe Rabbeinu dies six months later in Zion Adar, in the seventh of Adar, right? So this story is happening, and it could be if we would look in the commentaries, we'd get even further detail of exactly when it's happening. But it's certainly happening within, in, in, the, in the last half a year leading up to entering the land. Yes? Um, and Yehoshua is here appointed, and we find um, Moshe reiterating this appointment um, at the very end, the, 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 basically the whole Sefer Dvarim, the whole book of Dvarim is Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell speech to the Jewish people, and oh, in that context it is in Hazino Vayelech um, no, at first you have Vayelech you have um, that Moshe Rabbeinu indeed uh, commands Yeshua and he, he gives, you know, again, he tells and he tells Yeshua, Chazak v'amatz, you're going to bring the Jewish people in, and um, then after the Shira Hazino, Moshe and Yeshua um, read the Shira together, again, it's very clear this Moshe Rabbeinu is making a public display of ensuring Yeshua be his successor. Now, when you think of the job of Moshe Rabbeinu, or the title, the position of Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yeshua being his successor, um, I want to turn to the crowd and ask you guys what comes to mind. What is he? What is Moshe Rabbeinu's role, and what in what role is Yehoshua succeeding him? So you're saying he's not going to be the same as Moshe Rabbeinu. His shoes are not going to be filled, which is absolutely true. The matter we say, Pnei Moshe, Pnei Chama, Pnei Yehoshua, Pnei Levana. Moshe is like the the sun, and Yeshua is like the moon, who just reflects the light that it receives from the sun. That's true. There's, there's some, of course, there is something special about Moshe Rabbeinu that is unparalleled. Moshe Rabbeinu is the foremost prophet. He's the foremost anov. He's the the giver of the Torah, etc., etc. But what is the role of Moshe Rabbeinu? Nevertheless, Yeshua is succeeding him. So, in what role is he succeeding him as? What was he? He was a melech. Oh, very good. Wasn't he pretty much the Kayin Gadol too? Like, I know Aaron was, but uh, he had all three positions that no one else ever had. Before. General. At too. one point. One second. Say, say, say clearly. What are the three positions? He's saying he was a Melech. He was a monarch. Right. Right. He was a monarch. He was uh, a prophet. He was. But uh, he was a prophet. Okay. He was uh, a prophet, a monarch, and um, general. You're right. I'm just. 
He wasn't the Kohen Gadol Faked. These Pesukim that we just read say that he stands in front of the Kohen Gadol to inquire from the Cheshon Mishpat, right? He was the Nasi. He was the, the head of the Sanhedrin. Right? Malach Nasi. Malach Nasi. So you're saying that Mosh, that, uh, that uh, what do you call it, that Yehoshua is a king. As we know, okay, so certainly Yehoshua is a prophet. We know that Yehoshua is a prophet. Um, I mean, that's explicit. Got, God talks to him. And that's, uh, there's many psukim that are explicitly um, detail Yehoshua being a prophet. Um, Taking in Sefer Yehoshua. In Sefer Yehoshua, yes. In Sefer... Now you're saying he was the Nasi Sanhedrin. He was the the head of the Sanhedrin. Um, that's also true. He was also the Nasi. Where does it say that he was the Nasi? So, so that's that's really what's going on over here in many ways. That you might say that this the, the idea of Samicha. We said this is the Samicha. What is what is the context of Samicha? Samicha means where well, you appoint somebody to be Samuchla Sanhedrin. Again, what we call Samicha, you become a rabbi. The origins of that are Samicha to be a sitting member on the high court, on the Sanhedrin, or on the lower court, right? So, but he was the, he had smicha from Moshe Rabbeinu. He had, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. Wait, the word smicha also comes from Samachal Sanhedrin? Samachal Sanhedrin? No, that's what Samachal Sanhedrin comes from. Samachal Sanhedrin means that he was smichad to get into the Sanhedrin. Oh, I thought, I thought, I thought it meant close to Sanhedrin. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like he he's, he's he, it was Samuch that he would be uh, he the, received Samicha he'd be a member of Sanhedrin yeah and he didn't the Ramah says he didn't actually lean their hands on him it's another discussion exactly right so we know that he was a prophet we know that he was the Nasi of, Sanhe- of the Sanhedrin um, so you're saying no so I just want to what I want to focus on a little bit first is about him being a melech. Um, just trying to find the source that he was the Nasi other than what we just said now. Alright. So, you're saying that Yehoshua was a melech. And indeed, so this, this is a discussion. It's not furish anywhere. It's not explicit anywhere in the Psukim that Yehoshua was also the monarch. Um, and in fact, that Barbanel, in his introduction to the book of Shoftim, has a whole discussion about what's the difference between a shayfet and a melech. What makes this person, what makes Shimshon a shayfet and him a, a melech. And the Barbanel lists um, ten things, five, five common factors between a shayfet and a melech, but five differentiating factors between a shayfet and a melech. So the Barbanel is the opinion that the Yeshua was not a melech. But um, many Rishonim say that he was, and most famously and most importantly is the Rambam. The Rambam says that Yeshua was a melech, the Rambam says this explicitly in one place, where he says that um, Yehoshua, that Ein Mamidin Melech, you don't appoint a king only in front of, here we go, in Hilchus Melachim chapter 1, number Halacha 3, Ein Mamidin Melech, Tichilo, Elah, Pibezen, Shalshivim, Echad, Zuzkenim, Valpinavi, <coughs> you can only appoint a king on the instruction of the 71 elders of the high court and of the prophet. Yehoshua, just like Yehoshua, he was appointed by Moshe Rabbeinu and his bestin. So you have the prophet and you have the bestin, the, the, the 71 elders. Right, so the Rambam is clear, explicit here, that he holds Yehoshua is considered a melech. Um, there's another place, Yehoshua, there's another opinion in Yehoshua, which the truth is it's another whole discussion, we could maybe do another whole share about that, but Yehoshua killed Ochon. I mean, remember what Ochon did? Who remembers the story of Ochon? Uh, the person who uh, accessed um, the, the spoils of um, Yericho. Right, so Ochon, Ochon took the stuff from Yericho, and um, and later they because of that they they failed in the next battle which was I I believe if I recall correctly right and um, and Yeshua does some he, he he basically says okay own up and Achan owns up and Yeshua puts him to death so what's the problem with that story? <coughs> he sends him or he physically does it himself? It's a lottery, right? Until they get that, they, they, he does like this whole thing. Yeah. 
in the end, he admi- I don't remember the details of the story, yeah. as we've discussed many times, that we have a um, major lack of uh, familiarity with the, the, the Bible, but we're not going to elaborate on that, by the yeah, way. Probably there's a more than mentions that time, so that's <laughs> okay, but the, 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 the end of the story. But what's the problem when you hear this story? Achan owns up that he stole the spoils, and Yeshua puts him to death. What's the problem? There's an obvious problem with this story. You need a. Well, I didn't hear what David was saying. He said bait and switch. I don't know what that means. Told him one thing and then he did something else. Did he? Yes. What did he tell him? Um, confess. I was like, I'm gonna confess. Okay. No. No, he didn't do that. No, no, that's not what happened. Um, Ari, there needs to be some kind of uh, a process what does in it? order to put somebody. You're not allowed to kill somebody by their own admission. You have to have to. Two vote, you have to have two valid val- witnesses. What's going on he over here? Born. He needs the whole thing. There's no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Zok, the manual, so, so the emphasis is the Rambam says it. So the question is, is this how to shot in this Rambam? The Rambam says um, that this, that he, he quotes two cases where somebody was killed by their own admission. One is Yeshua killing Achan, and the other is David HaMelech killing Geramaleki, right? The guy comes and he says that he killed Shaul. Shaul threw himself onto the sword when he was dying, and he asked this guy to kill, to finish off the, to, you know, to end his life. And he did it, and the guy came and told David HaMelech, and David HaMelech told him, Dom There's a whole discussion if he killed him because he killed Shaul, or if maybe he killed him because now that he killed Shaul, so David became the Melech, and now he was responsible to get rid of Amalek, and he was not Amalek. It's a very... But he was a Ger. Right? Well, so that's the whole discussion, whether Ger Amalek helps, and it could be it helps only if the mother's from Amalek, not if the father's from Amalek. It's a fascinating discussion, not for right now. But the bottom line is, the Rambam addresses those two cases. And the Rambam says... How could David HaMelech, how could Yeshua kill Achan and David HaMelech kill the Gera Maliki on their own admission? And he says, It was a Hiroas Shah, which means a, the, the notion of Hiroas Shah means that even though the 613 mitzvahs are eternal, a Novi has the authority to override a mit, one of the 613 mitzvahs as a temporary thing, as the famous example of the Yohu. Hanavi uh, bringing carbonas on an amount caramel, which is outside of the even though the, the, the mitzvah that you know a lot of bring carbonas outside of Yerushalay outside of the base of Mikdash, right? Or did Malchus it was a the role of the king? In other words, that uh, even that a king is allowed to put anyone to death. A king has the authority for capital punishment. So the question is how to understand that Rambam is he saying that Yehoshua killed Achan as a hero Shah and David HaMelech killed the Gera Maliki as a Din Malchus? Or is he saying that both of those could be interpreted as either way because both David and Yehoshua had a, the pr- status of a Novi and the Melech? But either way, we find at least these two places in the Rambam where the Rambam is pretty much explicit. One of them is 100% explicit. That Yehoshua had the status of a king. Right? Now, um, I'll also read to you a puzzle from the beginning of Yeshua, the end of the first chapter of Yeshua. Yeshua addresses the tribe of Ruvain and God, and based on his disc- their discussion with Moshe Rabbeinu and Parshas Masai, which we will be reading next Shabbos, we have a double Parsha Matis Masai where we catch up with Eretz Yisrael who are reading Matis this week and Masai next week. Um, so in Parshas Matzah we have the discussion. But actually, no. For, sorry, it's in Parshas Matis. In Parshas Matis, I'm sorry. Yeah, in Parshas Matis we have the discussion between the Bnei Gadim and the Ruven and Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu agrees to their request to take an inheritance on the east side of the Jordan, with on the condition that they will um, they, they will lead the Jewish people in battle and coming into Israel. So at the end of the first chapter of Yeshua, Yeshua reminds them of this deal. And they say, yes, wherever you command us, we'll do, and wherever you send us, we'll go. As we listen to Moshe, so we'll listen to you. Hashem should be with you. And then they finish off. Any person who will rebel your command, and not listen to you, to anything that you command him, you must, will die. Now, why is somebody who's going to violate Yeshua's command die? So you could say, that because he's a prophet, and if you violate the words of a prophet, you would die. And indeed, the Abarbanel and his, or the Ime, those who go with the Abarbanel, who hold that Yehoshua was not a king, 
they would have to understand that this pasuk means that they would be put to death because they're violating the words of the Navi. One of the problems with this understanding of the pasuk is that usually the word must usually means that he's going to be put to death by the Sanhedrin. He's going to have capital punishment. Somebody who violates the words of a Navi is put to death by heaven. There is no capital punishment carried out by a human court for somebody who violates the word of a Navi. So, if we take on, if we understand the like the Rambam does, and Rashi and others, that Yeshua was a Melech, then that's what's going on over here, that anybody who violates your word will be put to death, because Merida Bamalchus, um, uh, what's it called? Um, treason. Tre- tre- treason? Is Merida Bamalchus called treason? Yes. Yeah? Is that an accurate translation? of? All right. Yeah, that's a capital offense which is carried out by human court. So that would be another indication um, that um, Yeshua did in fact have the date of a Melech. Okay, so what's so, so, so far? Now, the problem with all of this is as follows. There is a mitzvah in the Torah. Now, it's not an explicit, it's not explicit anywhere in the Torah, but it's a, it's a halacha. It says like this. When we appoint a king, I'm reading to you now from the Rambam, chapter 1, halacha Zayin. Seven. Just a second. I'm skipping down though. Because where it says, this is Rashi. Because I'm reading Hamelach, we anoint him with the Shemana Mishcha, the special oil of anointing by Moshe Benu. Um, <laughs> we find that Shmuel anointed Shaul Hamelach, he brings a pasuk. <coughs> After we anoint the king, he acquires the monarchy to him and to his children for all times, because they inherit the king, king, kingship, monarchy. Yeah. As the Pasuk says, regarding the king, so that he lengthen his days on his throne, him and his children amongst the Jewish people. So that's the Torah telling us that the being king is hereditary. And the Ramah continues later on in that halacha, that once David was anointed, David HaMelech, he was zoicha to the Kesar Malchus, to the crown, for him, for his descendants who are kosherim, who are uh, appropriate, fitting uh, to be the king for forever. He brings a pasuk, then he says, only the kosher, the good children of David, inherit the king, the kingdom, kingship. So, you might think that okay, there might come a time when David has no longer any kosher descendants, and therefore the kingdom will go away from him. Says the Rambam, no. Um, David Hashem promised him Hashem promised him that we say this in Tehillim that my kindness won't be removed from David in other words that there will always be someone from the dynasty of David who is the, the appropriate successor right? so this is a mitzvah to appoint to use the Shem HaMishcha to anoint kings now if you look in the Chumash in Parsha Shemois um, one second. Where is it? It's not Parsha Shmois, it's Sefer Shmois. Um, in the book, uh, in Parsha Tetzava, I think it is. Sorry, Pashas Kisisa, chapter 30, number thir- Pasuk 33. So here is the mitzvah to Moshe Rabbeinu to make the Shem and HaMishcha. And Hashem tells him to do the ingredients, to take this, uh, the different various fragrances, etc. And what is he supposed to do with it? 
You're going to anoint the oil moed, you're going to anoint the various utensils and furnishings in the oil moed. It doesn't say anything about anointing kings. But the Pasuk says, uh, We know that, sorry, earlier it already said in Pasuk Tzav that he's going to anoint Aaron and the priests with it. And here he's told to make it and to anoint the Mishkan with it. Um, but it says that it's going to be for the for generations. So what are you going to do with it for generations? Um, so the answer is that one of the things you do with it for generations is you anoint the king. So again, it's not explicit in the Torah over there, but it is alluded to in the Torah. Okay, so now let's get back to Yehoshua. When we talk about Yehoshua, so we've read the Psukim from our parasha where there's a very public display of appointing Yehoshua's successor. What do we find that he does? Smicha. Right? Again, we find basically a repeat of that in Parshas Vayelach. Right? But nowhere is there mention of Yehoshua being anointed with the Shaman Amishcha. So if we are to argue that Yehoshua has... Yeah, you everybody following my question now? If we are to argue that Yehoshua has the role of a king, in addition to having the role of a prophet and the role of the Nesiyah Sanhedrin, he also has the role of a king... Why was Yeshua not anointed with the Shem and It's a good question. Yeah. I think that Barbanel may have some thoughts on that. Oh, so according to Barbanel, it's amazing. <laughs> he wasn't a king. Very simple. He wasn't a king. So that's why he wasn't anointed with the Shem right? Very good. Aber medavtach v'shtein the Rambam. Right? The Rambam says he was a king. And as we have seen, there se- does seem to be uh, numerous... Um, Allusions to this, both in Pesukim and in Chazals, that Yeshua is a king. So that um, we see with the story in Shmuel, we see that David was anointed with the Shem and Mishkan, right? Say again. Shmuel. Shmuel was and Shaul was. And Shaul and and David, right? Right. Now, so there's actually a sicha in the Kuti Sichas. Um, it's in volume twenty-three. Uh, Bob, do you happen to be familiar with what the Project Lukatisikas are doing this week? No. I think they're doing a different... I don't think they're doing this one yet. Um, but it's a fascinating sikha where the Rebbe addresses this question. And um, I don't think we're going to have time to get into the sikha today. I'm going to do. A, I'm going to suggest a different, uh, a different approach than the sikha, um, which is which is brought to Mefarshim. Um, but, but, but the Sikha is definitely a very maybe we'll have a chance later in the week maybe we'll have another chance to, to, to get into the Sikha as well but I want to do something a little bit more if I will, straightforward or you know, more time friendly for the time we have left today so Now, you could say later on in that parak, the Ramam says like this Ein Moishkin Malchi Yisrael Bashaman Amishko. We know you have Malchi Yehuda. And Malchi Yisrael, Malchi Yehuda, Yehuda is the southern kingdom, and Yisrael, what we call the ten tribes, is the northern kingdom, right? So, for a long time, basically after Shlomo, for the beginning there was Shaul, David, and Shlomo, and basically after Shlomo, you had two parallel kings going on, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom were split, and you had the king of the southern kingdom, which were the Malchi David, Malchi based David, and the kings of the northern kingdom, which were not from the, the tribe of David. And there are many different, even though Alpi Halacha, both of them had the status of a king, there are differences, the Halacha, between a king of David and a king whose Malchi Yisrael is not from David. Anybody know what the difference is? By the way, you had even later, you had Malchi Yehuda, Agripas, you had others who were not. Um, but, uh, yeah. what's the difference between somebody who's a king, a monarch from the house of David, and somebody who's not? So one difference is that only a king, the Rambam writes this, that only a king who's from the house of David is allowed to sit in the Azara. 
The general rule is nobody's allowed to sit in the Azara. The exception is a king, but only a king from the house of David. Yeah? So here the Rambam says another difference. There's another difference between a king from the house of David and a king from the house of... Um, um, not from the house of David. Bob, it looks like you need something to wake you up. There's a big Chabad Rav in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael. I spoke about him last week, I think, Chaim Shalom Deitch. So Chaim Shalom Deitch gives a class on Friday after davening, mm-hmm. a halacha class. And uh, usually he's not finished with his prayers uh, um, at that time. So what he does is he gives his class like this with his hand, he takes off his head fill in, but he gives his class with his hand fill in, it's yeah. still on. Why does he still wear his hand fill in? Because he wants that afterwards when he puts on his tulin again or his, whether it's when he's putting back on his rashis or his rabbinic times by keeping on the hand filling he's continuing his association with the mitzvah and so that the bracha on that he made on the tulin before should continue on to the tulin that he's going to put on later even if it's a new pair of tulin he wears mm-hmm. he wears a second pair of rashis tulin long story now for now it's um, a big process of taking off yeah so if you think I'm wearing my talus and hands fill in just because I'm slouchy I'm not okay <laughs> now back to the point at hand um, um <laughs> you with us Bob? I'm with you alright the, ba- the Rambam says <laughs> we don't anoint kings from the Yisrael not from the house of David with the Shemen HaMishcha made by Moshe Adeno rather we use Shemen HaFarsamein another oil, we use some sort of anointing fragrance, perfumed oil, whatever it is but we don't use the Shemana Mishcha that was made by Moshe Rabbeinu and preserved is not used for kings not from the house of David and, you know, the, and the inauguration doesn't take place in Yerushalayim only kings from the house of David can the inauguration play, take place in Yerushalayim so this is so, interesting because I just thought it was invalid what does invalid mean? I thought the only valid um, line of monarchy was within from the house of David. We had Malchi Yisro. You say the kings of well, all the kings of Yisro. Yeah, they I, had thought, a, I thought that was a, that was kind of a that was a split. That was a, that was um, no no. That was it was a bad thing that happened in their history, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a status of a melech. But they weren't allowed into okay, the base uh, of Mikdash, right? They weren't allowed to sit in the base of Mikdash. Yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I thought. Um, were none of the. I mean, again, uh, my familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm again displaying my ignorance with Nach, but were none of the Malchi Yisrael good guys? None I, of them. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I don't remember any. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not but it's interesting. So they, it's, so it's still official. Okay, it's but Akapanim, there's certainly one Malach who was a kosher Malach who was not from the house of David that we could all agree on. Shol. Shol. No, but that before was, David. Oh, that's Shevan Amishcha. Oh, <laughs> one second. So Ari, you're saying that Shol was anointed with Shevan Amishcha. How do you know that? Um. Well, I figured when Shmuel was anointing the, the king, he was going to be he was going to use the official oil that I don't know I mean so, that was an assumption I guess so Rashi says <laughs> so, so, so there's, there's three approaches to this Rashi says <laughs> but this Isser that we the, the prohibition to anoint anyone from other than only only comes into being is only Chal in in Talmudic terminology, once Malchus based David Chizchal. In other words, once David becomes the king, and now Hashem has given him this bris, this covenant that the Malchus based David, yeah, was lost again, we said, forever. forever, from now on there's a prohibition to anoint somebody else with the Shabbat Mishra. But Shaul was before David, so there can't be a prohibition to anoint somebody who's not from Malchus based David with the Shabbat Mishra before Malchus based David is even a phenomenon that is exists, right? right? So that's that's what Rashi says. The Radak, David Kimch, basically one of perhaps second or parallel to Rashi in terms of being classical commentary on, on Navi. He says, no, 
Shaul was not anointed with the Shemin HaMishcha. Shemin HaMishcha is exclusively for David, and Shaul was anointed with Shemin HaFarsamite, with uh, this random oil, right? So where does the Rambam stand of this? We said before that the Rambam introduces. So, so first, again, we're talking here Hilchus Malachim chapter one. In number seven, Halacha in seven, he brings that, that he introduces the Halacha that we anoint kings. Then in Halacha Yot, he says that you could only anoint Malchim David. How do we know the Halacha that you anoint kings? He, the Rambam brings here the pasuk. That Yehoshua, that sorry, that Shmuel anointed Shaul. So if the basis for the mitzvah that we anoint a king is derived from Shaul, you can't say that Shaul was anointed with Shevet Afarsamay. So perforce, the Rambam holds like Rashi that Shaul was anointed with the Shevet Hamishcha, and that the prohibition to anoint non-Davidic monarchs with the Shevet Hamishcha is only initiated after David already is appointed as a king. Abameila, as we like to say, we're back to square one. Why? According to Radak, we don't have a question. Why was you according to Radak? Again, we have a question. Yehoshua was a king. Why was he not anointed? Right? Abad Banel is going to tell you he wasn't a king. Right? The Radak is going to tell you. No? Uh, why Yehoshua wasn't anointed? Yeah. Because he's not from, he's like, not from the Davidic dynasty. But Rashi and the Rambamu hold that even kings who are not from the Davidic dynasty, if they are prior to David, as was Shaul, are anointed with Sheba Namishcha. So now we're back to square one according to Rashi and the Rambam. Why is Yehoshua, why don't we find that Yehoshua was anointed? Right? You with me? Well, the people haven't asked for a king yet. So, right? Right. Oh, one second, one second. Uh, you, uh, one second. Bob is uh, making a very, very important point here. You're saying the people haven't even asked for a king yet. They didn't ask for a king to Shaul. Right? Exactly. Right. Shaul is the first king who was asked for. And Shaul is actually referred to in the Medrash as the Melech Rishon, which would seem to call into question our whole presumption that Yehoshua is a king. Right? Well, so the, how about going back before then? Why, why is Moshe Ravina considered uh, a king? Oh. Yeah. Oh, one second. But but uh, but Levi and Emmanuel. One second. But says Levi, how could you say Shaul is the first king? You even forget about you. Even if I'm to accept that that Barbanel's the Barbanel's assertion that Yehoshua is not a king, everybody agrees that Moshe Rabbeinu was a king. The pasuk says explicitly in Mosei Sabrocha, "Vayhibi Shurun Melech." Moshe Rabbeinu was a king. Yeah. So, 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 so Shaul was not the first king. Moshe was the first king, right? And, um, and, and, and you're saying, who anointed Moshe Rabbeinu? Okay, well, that's not such a question, who anointed Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu became king before there was a mitzvah to anoint kings. But to follow up on that, if Moshe Rabbeinu was anointed king, and we're assuming it's done by Hashem, I will assume that it's done by Hashem, it's not done by humans. Well, he wasn't anointed. Moshe Rabbeinu was certainly not anointed with the Shaman Mishra that he made. Okay, but if he was considered king, and through Hashem, he has his successor appointed. Why isn't that successor automatically considered king as well as prophet at oh, the time? Very good, very good. Well, one second, I, w- I want to get back to that, but I want to finish addressing what Bob mentioned. So Bob is saying that they didn't yet ask for a king. Now, what, basically what Bob is saying and what you are saying, Levi, very strongly lead into the Rebbe's approach to this whole thing. You recall that... Um, after what, what happens when the Jewish people ask for a king? Hashem's not so happy about it, right? Why is he not happy about it? It's a mitzvah to have a king, right? Why is Hashem not happy about it? Well, it's the extra, the extra words that you have when they ask for it. So there's different approaches to this, but let's see what the Rambam says. The Rambam says... Uh, enough to find the Rambam. The Rambam says that the reason why he brings a pasuk that Hashem said to Shmuel, "Ki oisim The reason they're asking for a king is not because they despise you as a prophet; it's because they despise me. In other words, they 
the function of a king in Torah is to represent God and to represent and enforce the mitzvahs. We actually discussed this a few weeks ago about Mashiach. Mashiach's role is the ma- Mashiach is the king, Malach Mashiach, right? The, the word Mashiach means anointed, right? The reason he's called Mashiach is because he's anointed as a king. The <coughs> Mashiach's job is to to enforce the fulfillment of Torah. So that is, in other words, what we're supposed to ask for a king to do the mitzvah because we want to do the Torah. The Jewish people were asking for a king because they wanted to get out of having to keep the mitzvahs. Right? How do we, how do we know that? That's what the Rambam says. That, oh. that, you know, I mean, he doesn't spell it out in so many words. But okay. Now, by the way, in the, in, I'll just do a, one second. There's a, there's a Drashus Haran. Drashus Haran is 12 essays, uh, sermons, if you will, by the Ram, reminiscent of Grona, which are published in two green volumes by Art Scroll. Um, and they're in the library, and you should look at them. They're very fascinating books. And in Drush Yud Aleph, um, his, his 11th sermon, which is in, obviously in the second volume over there, it's uh, 11 out of 12. So in Drush Yud Aleph, he goes through the whole Parsha Shreftim, goes through, narrates Parsha Shreftim, which includes the mitzvah of making, creating a king, Mini Melech. And um, he goes through this, the, many of the things that we're discussing here today about, uh, not about Yehoshua per se, but about uh, the function of a king and asking for a king and who's the first king and how does the job of the king and the job of the court um, complement each other. All of those things are discussed at length in Drush Yudalov of Drush Saran, and um, if you have some time to pursue it, you'll probably enjoy the read. Now, so, the, so you're saying that they didn't ask for a king and then they have Shoal. Shoal is the first king. And you're saying that Moshe Rabbeinu and Yeshua are kind of a different status of king than everybody else. I'm asking about right. it. Right. So both of those points um, are very, very much related to the Rebbe's approach to this whole topic in the Sicha. So very valid points. And again, I do hope at some point during this week, maybe next Sunday, we could learn the Sicha. Um, I, I do hope to have the time to go through that. We've actually mentioned the points from the Sicha in the past when we spoke about... Uh, the job of Mashiach as a king. It's, a, it's, a, it's all very related. So we'll see about that. But for now, again, we only have a few minutes left. Um, another suggestion is like this. We saw before Why, why was Yeshua, I, I actually quoted to you this part, the beginning of the Rashi, and I think I got sidetracked that I didn't quote to you the whole Rashi. Moshe Rabbeinu is asking Hashem to appoint one of his own children as his successor, right? And Hashem says, no, who's going to be the successor? Yeshua. Why Yeshua? So Rashi says, the reason why Yeshua gets to be the king is because... Yeshua is the student par excellence of Moshe Rabbeinu. He never, ever leaves Moshe Rabbeinu's side to the extent that, as we're commemorating today, the golden calf. Yeshua is absent. Why is he absent? Because he went as far as he could go accompanying Moshe Rabbeinu. And he waited right there in that spot. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, he says, I think there's a war going on here, and he was completely oblivious to what was going on, because he was absolutely hyper-exclusively focused on being with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why he becomes the king. Notes that the Rashi brings a pasuk based on Chazal, notes from Mishlei, notes that the Enu Yechel the one who tends to the dates, to the not to the figs, Yechel will get to eat the fruit of the fig. Right, so... So Yehoshua, so basically the idea is like this. We have monarchy. Who is our melech, who's David melech, David ha-melech, right? For, for eternity he's going to be the king. Now, that was, I mean, obviously Hashem knows the future, etc., etc., but at least on a, on, a, on a human level, that was second round. There was a first round. Who was the first round? Shaul. Now, Shaul messed up. Because when Shaul neglected to kill Agag, when Shaul neglected to kill Agag and, and, and to wipe out the animals of Amalek, so what does Yeshua tell him? 
And then what's his punishment? Let's read it from inside. Hashem has has torn away. Shmuel Aleph Yud Gimel. Let's look at the pesukim inside. It's the haftarah of Shabbos Zocher. Shmuel said to Shaul, "Thou hast done foolishly." Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now the Lord would have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to prince over Israel, because you have not kept the Lord has commanded you. Right? So basically, now your kingdom will not endure. Right? So the implication is, the implication is that before this mess up, Shaul's malchus would endure. So there was some sort of at least hypothetical situation where Shaul and his descendants would be the Melachim. And it wouldn't have become the Divinic dynasty, or maybe it would have taken more generations for it to become the Divinic dynasty. I don't know exactly. I mean, again, obviously Hashem knows the future, so I don't know exactly how this would have played out how Shaul had Shaul not have behaved this way. But at least uh, we see here that there is this idea that Shaul um, is going to be the king, for, Shaul is, is, and his family are going to be the king. We find even that one of the reasons that Shaul so much despised David HaMelech is because Shaul wanted Yonason to succeed him as the king. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we know the Haftarah that we read on Machar Chodesh, when Chodesh falls on Sunday, we have that story of Shaul and, and sorry, of Yonason and David, yeah, where they go out, David go, they go out to the field, and Yonason's hiding, and he throws the arrows, right? So what happens? Um, uh, David HaMelech is absent for the meal on the first day of Rish Chodesh, and Shaul says nothing, he says, you know, whatever, he probably, he says he has a seminal omission, and fine, he's okay, he couldn't come. Um, but then he doesn't come the second day, and he says, what's up? And Yonason says, oh, well, he said, he told me he, he's going to, you know, and Shaul blows a rage, he's going to kill Yonason, and he says, but now the Samardus, that you're allowing him to take the king when really it belongs to you. Right? Yeshua was only the king because he was the king because he was the student Paraxlons of Moshe Rabbeinu. He was, as Levi pointed out, the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu in in everything, in other words, it's almost as if there's Moshe Rabbeinu, there's Moshe Rabbeinu B, and then we move on to the to the to the way. In other words, for the course of history, and again, this this, this idea comes out clearer in the Sicha. For the course of history, you have the prophet, you have the head of the Sanhedrin, and you have the monarch, which are three different roles filled by three different people, and they interact and complement with each other, as is discussed in Drush Yudalaf number 11 of the Ran, which I referenced, right? But before that system of having those three heads, the, the Rosh Sanhedrin, the Melech, and the Novi, that happens from the time of, Shm- of, of Prophet Shmuel and King Sh- and his Bezdin and, um, and King Shol. Before that, Moshe Rabbeinu is all three of those. And so is Yehoshua. Yehoshua is also all three of those. He's part of that. Yeshua is not part of this monarchy that, that, that then um, is inherited and it sort of goes hereditary to the next generation. He's a subcategory of Moshe Rabbeinu. If we're taught that... He's a subcategory of Moshe Rabbeinu, sorry. Um, Yeshua... If you remember a few weeks ago when we did a few uh, sometime, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago when we did that class, the review of the introduction to the Rambam, we made a very important observation. Again, this is mentioned in the Sikha as well. We did a very important observation that when the Rambam is focusing there on on uh, on uh, you were here for that class, lady, I think about the transmission of the Torah from generation to generation. We have so and so and his bezdin received from so and so and his bezdin to so and so and his bezdin to so right. So it's always it's not just one person to one person to one person to one person. It's one person and the whole bezdin to the next generation and their whole bezdin. What's the exception to that one? Yeshua. The first one is Moshe 
gives exclusively to Yehoshua, v'tzivahu aleho, exclusively Yehoshua, just like Moshe Rabbeinu is the exclusive transmitter of the Torah from God to the Jewish people, Yehoshua is the exclusive transmitter of Torah from God to Moshe Rabbeinu to us. After Yehoshua, now, now is when things develop into this whole system that we have throughout the course of our history. Which is why when in the days of the morning of Moshe Rabbeinu, 3,000 or 300 halachas are forgotten, what do the people want to do? Kill. They want to kill Yehoshua. Why Yehoshua? What about everybody else? No, Yehoshua is the one who's exclusively responsible for this. There is some reference in the Rambam that perhaps there was another route over there sort of, that Moshe Rabbeinu gave directly to Pinchas, which Yehoshua was not part of, which could explain some other things, but for now. Now, Again, w- w- just uh, in case I've been going on for too long, I'm reminding you, what are we here to, defi- to figure out? We're trying to figure out, according to Rashi and the Rambam, why is Yeshua not... Received uh, 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 why is he not appointed with, anointed with the Shem and Amish? Now, we said before, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah explicitly that you anoint a king with the Shem and Amishra. But it does say, Shem and that it's for all generations. Now, in the Torah, what does it say to do with it? says you should anoint the Mishkan, anoint the, 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 the Aaron and his children, anoint the, 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 sorry, the Kohen Gadol, for the mm-hmm. Kohen Gadol for generations is always appointed with the, with the Shavana Mishkan. It doesn't say explicitly to use the kings, but it says L'doi Reiseichem, for, for eternity, for generations. It says the Meshach and ironically, the Abarbanel himself even says something similar, even though the Abarbanel holds that Yeshua wasn't a king, so it doesn't matter. But he also makes a similar point, and he says that anointing of a king is only a king who is Ludere Seichem, who is a king that has this quality of not just that he himself is a monarch, but that he has hereditary monarchy that he's going to inherit to his children, mm-hmm. if that's a real word. Is he going to inherit through his children? To his children. Or to his children. I don't know if that's a word in English. You don't inherit something to somebody. You inherit something from somebody. But yeah. I don't, bequeath. Bequeath. Bequeath the monarchy to, to his children, right? So, yeah, so based on this, Meshach Chochman, again, the Barbanel, the Barbanel actually says... Um, that's that, see that Barbanel makes this point. He says, you see from the fact that Shaul was anointed with the Shemana Mishra, that Shaul at least could have been a, a, a hereditary type of monarchy. But Agapanim Yehoshua was certainly not hereditary monarchy. And therefore, there is a suggestion made to answer this question according to the Rambam and Tarashi that the reason why Yehoshua was not anointed, uh, Yehoshua was a king, which, like we said, assuming Yehoshua is a king, explains a number of other things. Why was he not anointed? The answer is because his monarchy was unlike Shaul's monarchy, which was at least theoretically supposed, supposed to be hereditary, and it was unlike David's monarchy, which was in practice, was actually hereditary, but rather it was like Moshe Rabbeinu's monarchy, as you pointed out, Levi, which is not hereditary, and therefore anointing a king is only appropriate for hereditary monarchy, as alluded to in the Torah in Parashas Kisisa, when it says for your generations that this Shem and Mishra is something that is relevant to something which is generational. Okay, thank you all for joining. I'm happy to take some questions, and again, it's a beautiful sikha. If you have a chance to pursue it yourselves, please do, and again, maybe there'll be an opportunity to...